the host on the East Coast. I am Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who wants to be Bob Dylan. He wishes he was someone just a little more funky. Here is my brother from another mother. Here is my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Oh, konnichiwa. All right. So premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music. We've got a good one for you tonight. But as we do at the beginning of each of our podcasts, we ask the all-important question, Wayne, what t-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing my uh, Sublime Mermaid shirt. Sublime Mermaid? What is the significance of the mermaid? Uh, I don't know. I guess because they're California out there on the beach. It's just like a, a mermaid sitting. Is this like the sublime with Rome or is this that's not that's sub, that's not sublime, sublime vintage no, sublime died with Brad Knoll. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, so I um, could lie and tell you that I was wearing one of my rock t-shirts. Um, yeah, it's been one of those really long days for me. And so I am still wearing my polo from, from work and my khakis and um yeah i didn't even bother to to change that's uh that's the kind of kind of day and night that i've had so far so um i will do better next time i've got a couple t-shirts that i haven't worn yet for some episodes that uh i'm really looking forward to it one t-shirt that i did not purchase was when i saw the county crows perform live last year just didn't really like their uh, their design, so I I passed. If you haven't gotten the idea, tonight we're going to talk about the Counting Crows' 1993 debut release called "August and Everything After," and it's amazing to think that it has been literally 25 years since its release in September of '93. So. Wayne, how familiar are you with this album? I, I'm not as familiar as I thought. Um, time is a cruel master. When I, I dug it out of my uh, CDs, I bought this when it came out. Um, but you know what? I, I remembered four songs, and the, all the others, which I know I've heard, felt like the first time. They felt brand new. Um, how familiar are you with the rest of the Counting Crows catalog? Because it seems like everybody who knows the Counting Crows either knows the Shrek song, their their uh, version of Big Yellow Taxi, you know, the Joni Mitchell song, or they know the couple songs off of this album. I obviously not as big a fan. I remember reading an article, uh, reading a review on Hard Candy and Rolling Stone, and so I I digitally stole that off the internet. But um, <laughs> A Long December is probably my favorite Counting Crows song. But I, I, I really was into this, uh, to August and everything after. But after that, it, it got sketchy. Yeah, and I'm not, a, I'm not a diehard fan. I've listened to each of the albums after this one. Like you, Long December is probably my favorite Counting Crows song. Um, there's a lot of uh autobiographical information that i can kind of tie into that song as well uh, the lyrics uh really talk um pretty vividly about a time period in my life but you know there's there are at least two or three or four 
really good songs on each of their subsequent albums that are amazing. Like, like you, um, you know, I have hard candy as well. Uh, American girls is a really great song. Good night. LA really good song as well. Um, off of their most recent studio album. And it's been a couple of years. Um, that is somewhere under wonderland palisades park is a great song god of ocean tides you can you can tell and i've and i've listened to a couple of the podcasts that adam durowitz um does with uh, james campion the, the writer you can tell that he is extremely methodical when it comes to his writing process i i think I think this album, I mean, this was their debut album, but I'm sure there was plenty of years leading up to them recording this particular album where there is just a lot of autobiographical lyrics. And we'll, we'll talk about um, those as we, as we go through the, through the album. I mean, listening to, some of those songs that you were familiar with. You, you said that there were a couple that you were super familiar with. Um, how, how fr- do they still sound fresh to you or do they seem like a, a, a kind of a dated snapshot of the nineties? Uh, you know what? Mr. Jones uh, still, I think that's a, that's a brilliant snapshot of the nineties uh, round here. Lost a little, I went into it um, remembering, that I really like that song. And as I listened to the whole album, other songs started to creep up past it. Songs that I'd never heard. I, I still think that there are a few songs that sound really fresh. Um, You know, I think that they could be put on one of the, the more recent counting crows albums. I would say with you that Mr. Jones definitely does sound dated. It it does sound like a 90s song. Um, there's a few other songs that 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 definitely um, feel feel dated as well. Going through some of the research, though, um, one of the websites that I that I looked at was um, you know talking about celebrating this as you know it's been 25 years. Entertainment Weekly, who I used to I used to have a subscription to back in the 90s. Um, I remember that their that their review of this album was not not flattering at all. You can read a copy of of that review. They gave the album a D rating, which you know, kind of the jokes on them, considering that. I mean this this has stood the test of time. They Counting Crows still tours pretty much every summer. Um, they do a ton of dates. When I saw them a few years ago, you know, they were, they had pretty much packed, um, you know, a venue that seated about 15,000 people call it whatever. I mean, they were double billed with Rob Thomas of matchbox 20, but there were a ton of people there. Um, they can, they can still pack it in. And, and the thing that kind of pissed me off was reading, reading the, the 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 updated article from Entertainment Weekly where it's like like they can't even admit that it kind of stood the test of time you know and it and it says um here let me just uh pull a couple things out of their their particular review where they say um you know 
Durowitz uses Van Morrison as his role model. He often sang behind the beat and raced ahead to sing around it. And the result gave his voice both a freedom and a constant sense of surprise. Look, this article and the original article both reference Van Morrison. As a huge Van Morrison fan, I kind of get the reference, but I don't I don't think it's entirely accurate. Maybe if we're only talking about St. Dominic's preview or or something from that early 70s period, but it's obvious that the reviewers for Entertainment Weekly have never listened to Van's entire catalog. Like they're probably only listening to, you know, St. Dominic's preview. They're probably only listening to Astral Weeks and that's it. So, you know what, um, Entertainment Weekly, I give you a D rating for not being a very credible music review source. What do you what do you think about the comparisons that Durowitz has, has gotten to, you know, Van Morrison over the years? I, I don't hear it, but also, I mean, I'm not a huge Van Morrison fan. The the stuff that I've heard has been kind of that later stuff where he's messing kind of around with jazz. So I don't I don't get it. I thought he had a unique voice um, at the time. Listening to it, I kind of hear some uh, what's that? Pat Monahan from uh, Train in there a little bit, and maybe that's the whole San Francisco vibe as well because Durwitz really got a lot of his start being there in the Bay Area. So probably not a not a, a an unfair comparison there. Rolling Stone called this their number 67 top album of the 90s. Um, as far as top selling albums of the 90s, Billboard has this as at number 66. Maybe this album wasn't groundbreaking in terms of some of the other albums that were on that list. I mean, the top 10 from Rolling Stone includes, you know, two albums from Nirvana. It's got OK Computer, Dre and, and Biggie's on there. But I mean, how many other albums that were released in the later 90s, you know, owe some credit to Counting Crows of being this not really fitting into a genre, but just being more of a a palatable college radio friendly type band. I mean, I don't know if I'm even making any sense. Well, how many other people had that uh, Sideshow Bob dreadlock thing going on and still... And dated Jennifer Aniston. Explain that to me. Uh, maybe not too many. <laughs> I think none. So what about the what about the the REM comparisons? Like you you even you even texted me during the week and and said I'm getting some REM vibes and and I, okay I'm you know that I'm a huge REM nerd. I I kind of get it, but I don't i mean musically i don't get it i can i can see the michael stipe more of a poet than he is a singer type type of of reference no, but it's, it's there I, I didn't i did not see your notes before um i got like one of i don't spoiler alert my favorite song ranking could if you if mike mills did background vocals um i mean you could if you took the vocal tracks out and replaced them that's that sounds like a, a great REM song. There were a couple others where it's just kind of briefly, and then he starts to sing, and it kind of loses it. But uh, I, I heard okay. it throughout. Probably there was two songs I'm thinking of, but a, I, I want to say there was a, a third one. But there's, 
I got definitely got a, an REM vibe from from a few of the songs. Like I said, I just I'm I don't completely get it, but that that that's that's cool. I mean, there's worse comparisons to to, to make. Absolutely, for sure. if I was going to be compared to somebody, I, I would wish it was REM. As far as production goes, T Bone Burnett produced this album. He's responsible for Los Lobos. Lots of production credits, including Elvis Costello's King of America. He's responsible for resurrecting Roy Orbison's career at the tail end of his life. Um, plenty of album-oriented rock credits as well. Bruce Coburn, Bodine, Sam Phillips, Brandy Carlisle. Um, he also did Robert Plant and Alison Krauss's uh, album. And then, of course, he's uh, responsible for the soundtrack, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And one of the band comparisons of Counting Crows, um, so going back to the comparisons, is The Wallflowers. And yes, T-Bone produced their breakout album, Bringing Down the Horse. Have you had a chance to see Counting Crows live? Uh, no, that has never presented itself. They're an interesting band live. They they do like to switch up some of their some of their songs. They do a lot of covers. The uh, the one night that I saw them, they did uh, a cover of a teenage fan club song, and I'm trying to remember what the blue song that they did as well. Um, but they, um, I will say, they did seem a little bored with Mr. Jones, and you could tell with you know Durowitz's, he's probably got ADHD. You, you know, they switched it up a little bit, and you know just think about all the hundreds and maybe thousands of times that they've played that song. I'm sure, I'm sure I'd be bored with it as well. All right. Worldwide. This has sold over 10 million copies, 7 million copies in the U S alone. Any other thoughts, comments, production, time frame, whatever you want to talk about uh, setting this up. Uh, you know what, when it came, I remember it coming out. I remember, um, hearing Mr. Jones, I seeing the video for Mr. Jones. I remember watching him on Saturday night live. Um, and when I, th- I say it, 25 years seems like a long time. I was really into him for, I mean, not very long, <laughs> not as long as, okay. not as long as I remember it when I, when I think about it. You ready to listen to August and everything after? Absolutely. Here's the first track off of the album. This is Round Here. Misunderstood. She has trouble acting normal when she's nervous. Round here. song went to number 10 on the top 40 it was number seven on the modern rock charts uh as you know this was the second single off of off of the album what's interesting so you you brought up the saturday night live reference already and did you did you realize 
actually, let me ask you this. So what was the first song that they performed? Because usually the first song that you perform is usually your current single. So what do you think was the, was their first song that it was on Saturday night live? Was it round here? It was round here. They, they decided that they wanted to, um, to have that as the very first impression for the viewers who may not have been familiar with, with counting crows. I remember watching the Saturday night live. Uh, I was in college at the time, um, was hanging out with some other people that I didn't know, but they were in a couple apartments over from me. And because they made fun of Adam, Adam Durwitz's performance on Mr. Jones, I thought these are not the people that I want to hang out with. <laughs> um, so, but I, I really, I really dug around here. Um, that was my real first in, uh, impression of the band. Um, and we'll get to Mr. Jones here in a second. So, you know, this, this, um, this song is, is the, the, the very first reference to Maria who makes some additional appearances in other counting crow songs. Uh, we'll talk about another one of those songs here in, in, in a few moments. Mr. Jones um, also talks about a Maria. Um, she seemed to be in the woman in the bar doing some of those Spanish dances. Uh, some other songs that reference Maria is Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, where he says that there's a piece of Maria in every song that I sing. Um in in August and Everything After, which is a song that the album was named for, but they actually didn't per- put that song on the album. Um, they've only played the song a few times live, but Maria is also mentioned twice in that particular song. And then John John Appleseed's Lament from Somewhere Under Wonderland from 2014. Um, that also talks about Maria, um, and this is a reference that the particular lyrics for that song are references to um, "They Call the Wind Maria" from "Paint Your Wagons," and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Maria as we go 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 further. This was one of the topics that fans really tried to dig deep into because they always wanted to know who is Maria and Derwitz said for years that it was just a fictional person, but, um, we'll, we'll, I'll shed a little light a little bit later, but it is actually, um, a real person as well as fictitious. Anything on round here that kind of sticks out for you? I think lyrically it's one of their strongest songs. And I think as far as the Saturday Night Live thing goes, this is much more representative of most of their work where Mr. Jones, I think I even have in my notes is it's kind of a one-off. They don't really, I've never heard any other songs specific that sound like that. So, but I, I, you can, you can hear the the story in there. It's, it's the, 
the inappropriate funky break there at 245 uh, bothered me every time I heard it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I really love this song. This is, this is my third favorite song on the album. Um, and yeah, it's a very, very close third favorite. Um, so I'm giving this a nine. What, uh, what score are you giving this? I gave it a seven. Okay. Still not bad. I will say this for the scoring. There is really, in my estimation, only one song that I don't really like all that much. Like, it pained me when I'm going through my my scoring. It pained me for some of these that I was giving, like, you know, three and fours. And I'm like, but it's such a good song. So this was the very first time that I really kind of questioned our scoring um, approach. <laughs> I, you know, and I, I have the, a similar feeling. Like one through are the my top five songs probably were pretty uh, from the beginning. But I would say the the lower ones, I, I there's no song on here I don't like. I mean, there's this is really a varying degree of like. I I liked. I had to choose one that I liked the least, but I I wouldn't say there was any songs that I disliked. Yeah, and the one that I picked the least. Like I, I listened to it a few more times this week just so that I was like, is this really my least favorite song? And um, I think I've grown to really like this song. And But I, I'm like, no, I'm going to stick with my original because I feel like now I'm I'm the, the heart is leading me instead <laughs> of the head. You feel like Entertainment Weekly. I, yes, maybe. But I... Yeah. All right. Next next song on the album is some stuff where he had indicated that he had written this particular song many years prior to the construction of the album but some of his earlier bands i guess just couldn't get what he called they they couldn't get the right feel um so i'm not sure if that means that it was that was based on the talent that they couldn't get it right or if they just never latched on to you know this sound or emotion that durowitz was looking for the demo version is very different from the final version that we hear on the album. The final edit definitely has this emergence of the accordion. I think that really drives the song. And I'm going to talk about the accordion and how much I, I like it on, a, on one of the other songs coming up. When Durwitz was writing this, he said he recalled the psychedelic rock song Omaha by Moby Grape. Like I hadn't heard that name in, gosh, forever. And he said that, and get ready for this, he said, R.E.M. covered that song, and I always loved it, and I thought it was so cool. What a shock. Oh, yeah. Big, big, big shock for you, right? And he said, I love the sound of the word Omaha, 
and it's got a great timber to it. The one thing I will end with is he talks about how the mayor of Omaha tried to give give Adam a key to the city and he didn't go to the ceremony. He had never visited Omaha before the song had been released. And in April of 94, the song had been designated the official song of the city for the year. Five of the seven Omaha city council members had voted in favor of that resolution. One of the councilmen said that this song reinforces the well-known fact that people all over the country look to Omaha for inspiration, musical and otherwise. And (laughs) um, I'm pretty sure that they didn't read the lyrics. No. No. What, what, what do you have to say about Omaha other than it's somewhere in the middle of America? I, I know I'd heard it. Like I said, I had the CD. I listened to it. I, I, it was like, a breath of fresh air. I'd never heard it. I mean, that whole river dance thing that it starts with and then the accordions, <laughs> it, I, I, this song just, it's, I, I struggled to keep it from number one. Okay. What score are you giving this? I gave it a 10. Okay. So second favorite song. Wow. I'm, I'm giving this a six again. It pains me to, to feel as though six was, not a great score. This is still a great song. I just think that there are a few other songs that are much stronger than this particular song. So next up is our third song on the album. This is Mr. Jones. went number two on the billboard top 40 number two on the modern rock charts i i was amazed that this was not their this was not a number one song like for the amount of times that i heard this song this was not a number one song as i mentioned maria is also in this song doing some of those spanish dances initially i was not a big fan of this song in fact I, when I first purchased the CD, and this is probably going to cause some Counting Crow fans to like ostracize me, but I used to skip over this song. And I think it's grown on me over the years, maybe because I, I don't feel like I'm hearing this every 10 minutes on the, on the radio stations or on MTV. It was really round here that turned me into the Counting Crows fan that I am not, not this particular song. Anything to share on Mr. Jones? I I don't know how you could not like this song. I think it's one of those things. I think it's their best song. I, it's not my favorite song, but it's definitely, I think, their best song. It's a great pop song. And 
a, there's a, just a great story. I read the, I read his, him talking about it and you can see that story unfolding in there with, you know, his, his friend Marty and, you know, th that wanting to be famous, you know, you know, for everybody has a different reason. This, you know, his is to quench, you know, squash this loneliness inside, but it's a, it's, there's a great story going on inside this uh, pop song. Uh, my one question is, at the end, he says he wants to be Bob Dylan, and Mr. Jones wants to be someone a little more funky. Now, does he want to be more funky than Bob Dylan, or does he want to be more funky than Mr. Jones currently is? Do we view that Mr. Jones is really synonymous with Adam Durwitz? I think it's his it's his friend. Uh, it's an act his actual friend, Marty Jones. Okay. I don't know how funky he is. I don't know if he just wants to be more funky or if he just wants to be more funky than Bob Dylan, because that's not terribly hard. No, Bob Dylan is not exactly funky. That's not that's not a word that I would uh, that I would tag on him. Bob Funky Dylan. I, I was looking at the lyrics and there is a lot. There's a lot of lyrics. Do you think that prevented it from being a number one song? Just the fact that there's. Is there a chorus on this? Mr. Jones and me. That's the chorus? I think so. That's the way I always took it. It comes up more than once. They definitely want to be famous. I got that much. And that the, the pretty girls are looking at Mr. Jones and not Adam, which, like I said. Yeah. He clearly wants to be famous, though. Looking at most of Counting Crow's songs, they're not formulaic in the idea of, you know, they're doing verse chorus verse it is definitely verse 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 maybe i'll throw in a line for a chorus and then i'm gonna do a couple more verses and then and i think that that follows this pattern for mr jones and nothing wrong with that i just think that i maybe the fact that they didn't have this catchy chorus where i don't know about you i've i've heard the song you know, hundreds of times. And I still don't know all the lyrics. I went to the show. There's only a handful of people who, who were like really singing along with this song that knew all the words. I don't know. Am I, am I out of, out of order there? Yeah. Out of order. This whole courtroom's out of order. Yeah. I, I don't know that you're out of order. There's a lot to, there's a lot to remember. I would, it would be a tough one to karaoke. It would be uh, agreed. All right, so I'm giving this a five. How about for you? I gave it a nine. I I, I wanted it to be lower, but it just I just like I just love that song. Next song is a song called Perfect Blue Buildings. I want to get me a little oblivion baby and try to keep myself away from myself and me. That, that that's pretty, pretty dark line of, you know, somebody who is, um, I guess kind of grappling with that whole, how do I balance the, 
the dark with the light. Yeah, there, I mean it. It it's a borderline suicidal. It's at 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 best, it's my own worst enemy. This is probably my my. This is the one that I listened to a few times this week because I I like this song, but this is my least uh, favorite and definitely my lowest score. So I'm giving this a one. I, I say that with a little bit of hesitation because it easily could have been a four. Uh, and and I, I can relate to what you're saying because initially uh, when I first revisited this record, I was my least favorite. And the more I listened to it and the more of the lyrics I heard and the more of the story I could hear, um, oh, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the, Green Apple Sea is, but I, I started to understand that the perfect blue buildings were hospitals and I could see what was happening, but it just grew on me. It kept pushing its way up to, to a six. Wow. Okay. Next song is Anna Begins. It washes her away. Anna begins to change her mind. Seconds when I'm shaking leave me shuddering. who is largely fictional. There is a real Anna. Uh, Durwitz said that uh, she's a girl from Australia that he met on vacation in Greece in 1989. Let me just, let me just quote some words that I, that I uncovered here from, from directly from Adam about this song. He says, it's about denial. How far you'll go to deny that something's really happening because it's too complicated, too terrifying, too difficult. It's about me and Anna. The relationship was supposed to be light. We met on vacation, but we got further into it and it became harder and harder. It's about all the things you go through trying to sort of squash your feelings to, to sort of shut it down and how much you can hurt other people and yourself by doing that. The people in the song are just continuously telling themselves they don't feel what they feel until the end when it's too late and they realize what they were really, really not ready for was, you know, never being able to see each other again. Made me start thinking about Casablanca. Is that is that kind of a weird connection there? No, I mean, songs, I mean, they make you, see, you know, imagine different things. And I, I don't, after... After listening to the song, I, I I can see that. What do you think the lyric means where he says, "No, oh Lord, I'm not ready for this sort of thing"? Is that kind of going back to his his uh, discussion of, well, this was only supposed to be like a little bit of a fling, and now the more I'm in it, the more I realize that I kind of like this person. Or, yeah, I thought I felt from the re- from the song that he was saying he's not ready for that that big love that one love that you know marriage and and all of that that goes with it so that that probably factors into some of the songs about regret that will come in subsequent albums <laughs> i would bet all right um all right my score on this 
This is uh, my my second least favorite song, so I'm giving this a, a two. What's your score on Anna Begins? And, and you know, it's yeah, I gave it a four. Um, the lyrics are a lot more straightforward, I, I felt, than a lot of his. He's got a lot of wordy poetry. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but he, this one was pretty easy to tell what it was about. Um, not that that affected the score. It's just this is one of those songs where – I really like the song. I, I looking at the four on my piece of paper. I, I feel bad. Like I did something right. wrong. All right. Um, next song is time and time. Again. Time and time that the organ was going to make some appearances on this um i love the organ on this then going back to our discussion about uh having a chorus so i think this kind of has a chorus where it's just but the chorus is just time and time again time and time again time and time again i can't please myself so is that really a chorus yeah, absolutely. It's 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 repeated. It's okay. clearly the chorus. All right. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this song. I mean, I I really I really dig this song. There's not a whole lot to it, but I do I do love the 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 organ in it. Um, it's, it's it's great. I don't know. I don't have a. <laughs> It's it's just a good song. I don't have any like bio information to share. I don't have anything like deep analysis of the lyrics. I'm giving this an eight, maybe a little higher than maybe it deserves, but this is just one of those songs where I can just I can just kind of kick back and just listen to it. It's just one of those really good contemplative type of songs. What uh, what score are you giving this? I gave it a two. I I like the, the intro with that. That's I can hear REM in that little sing, that little guitar strum that's going okay. in the beginning. the The chorus is it is mesmerizing. I I definitely agree with that. But the I just thought it was uninspired. He references "Walk on Water" for again. That's been a couple of songs yeah. where that comes up. His voice. What I I felt like it lacked the desperation that comes through and in round here and raining in Baltimore and even Anna begins, you can, it just, it was uninspired was the best way to put it. Well, let me ask you this. If, if Anna begins or raining in Baltimore didn't exist on this album, would, would that change your, 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 your mind on this, this, on this song? Um, those songs all ranked higher. So it would, yeah, it still would have been my second to least okay. favorite song. All right. So let's go to the next song, which is Rain King.
this was released as the third single off of the album, but really for that time frame, it was the fourth single that had been released during that time period. The, the, the song Einstein on the beach for an Eggman was left off of this album, but there was a album, a compilation album called DGC rarities that was released at that time. When the label heard the song, they thought this is a hit. So they sent it to radio stations, gained popularity. This actually reached number one on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart uh, in August of 94. Supposedly, this, this, that song caused uh, Adam Duritz to be afraid that listeners were going to turn on the Counting Crows for overexposure. And so instead of creating a music video for Rain King and really hyping this up, they didn't do a whole lot with it. And so this was really their last single off of the off of the album. Went number 31 on the top 40. So didn't really have the lasting power that round here and Mr. Jones had. Anything to share on Rain King? Um, yes, this song... Is per, has the lyrics are personal to me. I, this is one of the ones where I don't know what he was singing about, but I know what I hear in it. And also, it, that REM vibe. This is this song is just missing Mike Mills and and Michael Stipe, and it would it would be a great REM song. But like I say, the lyrics about service to the queen and uh, deserve a little more. Um, I belong anywhere but in between. This this is right up with. Uh, King of Pain and some guys have all the luck as for sores kind of a theme of theme song for, you know, me back at that time. Did we err in not putting this on the disappointment list? I don't know that he's disappointed. I, I don't feel that he's disappointed. I feel this just, um, I, and when it says rain King, I don't know. I mean, I kind of envision tears. I don't know if in one line in the, in one verse, I think he's making her cry. And then in, in another verse, you know, she's making him cry. So. so I can give you a little extra bio info on this. So Duritz got the title from the book Henderson, the Rain King, which was a Saul Bellow novel from like late 50s. Supposedly, he read the book when he was a he was a student at Berkeley. He was an English major, which I can totally see. Um, totally overanalyzing everything like um, a certain other English major that I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was waiting for you to <laughs> do that. Um, so <laughs> the line about Henderson is waiting for the sun. That is a reference to the, the, the main character of that novel, Eugene Henderson. He's the guy that disrupts the lives of others, makes a mess of everything around him. Duritz talked about this song on Storytellers where he said um, the book became a totem for how I felt about creativity and writing. It was this thing where you took everything you felt inside you and just sprayed it all over everything. And it's a song about everything that goes into writing, all the feelings, everything that makes you want to write and pick up a guitar and express yourself. It's full of all the doubts and all the fears about how I felt about my life at the time. So little autobiographical, um, just like almost all of the Counting Crow songs, but, you know, listening to this as well, you know, we, we were talking about how, you know, we're, we've been working on our little outro and 
is there a better outro to a song than than this than his little uh um yeah scream at the end of it oh i think think perfect we should do that as our outro going forward do 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 you think that you you could do that i i think i can i don't know maybe maybe that's (laughs) maybe that's really really too goofy um and probably and every time every time i do play this song like when my kids are around and i do that end part i always get these weird looks from my kids where they're like oh my gosh dad is a weirdo but all right uh what score are you giving this actually i think you already told me Uh, what the score spoiler alert This, this is my favorite song it's 11 okay this gets a this gets a seven for me Easily could have been an eight interchanged time and time again in ranking and changed my, my mind on those a couple different times. But ultimately I, I went with, uh, I went with time and time again, being the higher score. All right. So you just said, um, your top pick, um, actually I'm going to, I'm going to save it for after I play the clip. Here's uh, Sullivan street. Way home leads back to Sullivan Street, where I'm just another rider burned to the ground. Come tumbling down, I'm almost drowning in her sea. is my favorite song on the album um this is just one of those songs that you know going back to what you were talking about with rain king being very autobiographical for you uh this was yeah this was um i'll talk about that here in a second um so this this has another appearance by maria however this time it's the real life maria maria mckee who sings the background vocals on this song? Um, any idea who Maria uh, McKee is? And that's a name I've heard, for, uh, but I cannot place where I know her from. She was the lead singer of Lone Justice. Ah, and she did. She she's done a lot of solo stuff. She has a really great song on the Days of Thunder soundtrack called um, "Show Me Heaven." Which I mean, it's a total cheesy, early '90s, perfect song for like, uh, you know, a Tom Cruise montage. Justice, their debut was uh, really good. 
I I did too. I I remember seeing Lone Justice on Saturday Night Live. They sang the song Shelter and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is great." I I will say this that I don't think people were ready for kind of that that sound. I think, you know, the the whole Edie Brickell kind of had had it going on for a, a brief time period in the later 80s but i think that if lone justice would have come out in like 96 you know right around the time of like jewel and like who else was big at that time like joan osborne and you know just the whole lilith fair type groups indigo girls sarah mclaughlin i think that if they would have come out around that time that they would have been big so just a, a victim of the of the timing. So there is a really great recording of Sullivan Street where Duritz actually talks about the genesis of the song. He said that his his one girlfriend, the mother moved out to live with the girlfriend. Her mother was very Catholic, so he said that they couldn't spend the night together. So he was constantly making these drives in the middle of the night to take her home. He really believed in the relationship, but when he was done, when he was writing the song, the lyrics came out where he's, where it says pretty soon I won't come around. You know, there it was, it was the inevitability of leaving. And I kind of, maybe I did, did some extra interpretation of this, but I, I kind of felt like the whole, on my knees reference could have been to the whole Catholicism thing, praying and, and then the singer ends up with that same refrain a little bit later, just that whole verse about her falling to her knees. I don't think it's really pleading for him to stay at that point, but then the next verse is her crawling on her knees and then down on her knees, which again, I don't think is praying. And then there's finally the pleading and in that last verse, that crawling on her knees is still happening, but now it's time for the singer to be down on his knees because he's realized he's made a mistake. Is that <laughs> I, is I that overanalyzing so. this song? Okay, well, I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> the The theme on this is really it's centered around the pretty soon I won't come around lyric. Every time I hear this song, well, not every time, but if I'm if I'm being too overly analytic, it does remind me of two women from that time period of my life. One, which was an ex-fiance that I knew that pretty soon I won't come around theme was going to come into play. She was, she was leaving Utah to go back to California to restart her life. We were, even though we had broken off getting married, we were kind of on and off again for a little bit. And I think we both realized eventually that we were better off with, you know, without each other. By the time she left, I don't think either one of us were pleading on our knees. I, I don't think we hated each other, or, or at least I didn't hate her. But I know that we both kind of had this understanding of that inevitability of leaving. The other woman from that time period, that's kind of a different story. I knew eventually we would both be taking our own sullivan streets away from each other's life but kind of unlike the ex-fiance i probably i probably should have gotten down on my knees to plead a little to 
you know, escape that whole inevitability of, of leaving, but I didn't, there was pride, there was fear of the rejection, whatever. Um, and you know, we both ended up taking our ways home to our own Sullivan streets. Who was that other woman, Ben? Yeah. I don't think I really want to say we're just going to call her Maria appropriate. So this is definitely my number one song. This gets an 11. Uh, what, uh, what score are you giving this? I gave it a three and I, I wanted to like this song more. And just for you, I listened to it and I listened to it and I wanted to like it more. And ultimately it, it, it fell into that uninspired category. Okay. I, I just, I, I tried though for you. I just want you was, to know. Was that because of my text a couple of weeks ago where I just said, I'm listening to Sullivan street and it's perfection. Well, you know, and there was a time when you saying you like something would have caused me to automatically try to dislike it even more. But I, we've we've grown. We've grown. I don't know. I and don't now know. I, Based off of hearing some of the replays of our podcast, I think that you're still doing that intentionally just to piss me off. You couldn't be. You could not be more wrong. Okay. I I've I've grown, and I I heard you made that comment, and I I, I was like, what am I missing? And it's not me. It's Adam Duritz. He's missing something in this song. Okay. Some passion. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel the passion. Because it related personally to you, though. Yeah, probably. To to that end, you just you just told me that the Rain King gets your top spot because that's how you felt at that period. Absolutely. Yeah. And you gave it a six or something. So, And I didn't I didn't mock you. Yeah, I gave it a seven. I didn't put I didn't put you on trial. Maybe now I'm gonna bump ranking and give it a one instead, just to piss you off. <laughs> can I? It wouldn't. Can I go back and change my score, judges? That's not no. Dang it! R- ruling says denied. No. All right. Well, well, I'll live with it. All right. Next song is a song called Ghost Train. says 50 million feet of earth between the buried and me represents how distance this this person feels from his love any idea what that line inspired um the band beneath the buried in me between the buried and me yes between the buried yes. and me. so they were named they named themselves after the lyric in this song which is Kind of interesting because I didn't really know who Between the Buried and Me was. So I was like, oh, well, they can't be that bad if they are getting their their the name of the band off of a Counting Crows lyric. Yeah, they couldn't be more different than Counting Crows. They're 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 metal? they're a little bit metal band. So you would probably like them. That's not true. No, that's no, I would. Okay. I thought you were the metal guy. No, not even a little bit. Mm. All right. So what do we call faster pussycat then? That's, that's just blues rock. That's how it's, 
outdated sleazy blues rock okay fair enough it's called guilty Guilty pleasure pleasure right also known as cliff richard (laughs) only in england uh or in orlando florida um all right ghost train gets a three for me i and this was my least favorite song from the beginning and once again i wouldn't say that i dislike it i just this is my least favorite it's he got all his wordy poetry gets kind of muddled it doesn't work um, it has a, it seems to have like a clunky delivery that I just, I just could never, I never disliked it, but I could never, it never, it, it wasn't well, like perfect blue buildings. It couldn't crawl from the cellar. Yeah. Okay. Second to last song is raining in Baltimore. The circus is falling down on its knees. Big top is crumbling down. It's raining in Baltimore, 50 miles east, where you should be. No one's around. And a phone call. say about raining in baltimore i'll give you the first word on this you know what i liked it i think in the beginning it was one of the uh, obviously one of the less familiar songs the ones that i didn't remember Uh, but the more i listened to it the more i liked it and like there's definitely a going to california feel um i read some of your notes on the some of the song meanings i definitely i don't know who he's leaving whether it's his hometown or his you know a girl but I got a couple references, sunburn, uh, plane ride, 3,500 miles, top down. Top down always makes me think of California, but this, this felt like he, he was, he's definitely leaving, but I think he's going to the sunshine. And state. that is probably a good analysis. Cause, um, you know, I think he, he wrote this song when he finally got to California. So it's definitely a song about leaving something behind um, trying to find something that's bigger and better. The old small town stuff just no longer works for you. And um, you know what saves this from being my least favorite song on the album? The accordion. The no, I'm dead serious. If this was just a straight up piano song, this would be like, you know, a Billy Joel um a billy joel song where it's like you know whatever song that he's writing about lamenting about how the latest hot model just dumped him you know that but with you throwing the accordion in into that yeah it saves it saves a little bit for me the uh i i just remember and i'm not going to i'm not going to to uh to, to, to say which one of my old roommates had his own take on this. So his theory was every time that he would say, I need a raincoat, he thought that this was a, a veiled reference to a condom. <laughs> and that did run through my mind, but I also, I think for me, a raincoat, 
um, meant something to remember home because it doesn't rain. It, I've been to California a lot and it never rains. It doesn't seem like it's like Randy Newman said, the sun is shining all the time. Felt like a raincoat was something to remember home. And I'm sure you have a raincoat living in Washington. I, I, I no, I just okay. get in the car, but I don't, I don't I'm not going to play out in the rain. I'm an old man. <laughs> all right. So what score are you giving this Wayne? I gave raining in Baltimore a five. It, 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 it just got, it grew on me. If there was, if there was a way to, I could have gotten it higher. Okay. I would have, but it just. All right. Let's, let's finish off our review of August and everything after with the song called a murder of one. Does he keep you safe and warm? Does he tell you when you're sorry? Does he tell you when you're wrong? that this was a fourth single off the album however i can't find any reference to this legitimately being released as a single i know it did get some play on some alternative stations and i really have no idea why this was never embraced by like a top 40 community i think that this is a perfect pop song and it could have easily been a single in my in my opinion and I thought the same thing. I actually looked up what, what like the top songs of 1995, and it was uh, like a couple of Boys to Men songs and some Montel Jordan. I think Coolio was number one. This song by I think this is a great pop song, second best pop song on the album. I agree. I and I love and I love the lyrics on this as well. Just the fact that the song is called a murder of one there's there is some some double meaning there because a murder is also a flock or a group of crows um and so you could translate that into a of a flock of one so there's there's a little bit of 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 this this uh this double meaning here i I have heard live versions of this where he changes the lyrics slightly to don't waste your life the way I waste my life. So that there's a little bit of a, a switch on the lyrics there. And just some of the, again, the imagery of, you know, the crows, which I, I think that they get their name from this, considering that, you know, he does drop the line about just a band of counting crows. But there's also the imagery of there's a bird that nests inside you, sleeping underneath your skin when you open up your wings to speak. I wish you'd let me in. Again, some some imagery of this this uh this bird bird type stuff. Um and I and I also find the, the the lines, you know, where he does the refrain of "I walk along these hillsides in the summer, neath the sunshine, blah blah blah." 
Um, I find it a little bit melodramatic, but then when he does the change, change, change to break that up, that's just, that's just perfect. That is that what I, I, I really dig this song. Um, I, I give this a 10. This is my second favorite song on it. And I could have easily switched this with Sullivan street. That's how much I love this song. I, and I, I like the way he incorporated the rhyme that inspired it. Um, uh, yeah, this, I give it an eight. It's, I really enjoyed this song. Okay. All right. Should we, uh, should we take a look at our, our final, final scores here? Our final rankings. Let's add them up. Wayne, what do you think our top songs were based off of our average scores? Uh, Round here uh, and uh, Murder of One. So Murder of One gets an average score of nine. That is tied for our top spot along with Rain King. And then to your point about Round here, that has an average score of eight, which is also tied with Omaha, which also has an average score of eight. That is followed by Sullivan Street, which is tied with Mr. Jones. Probably not not a whole lot of surprises there. Any uh, any parting comments on August and everything after? No bad songs. I think um, you say that a lot, but I mean, after listening to this for the over the last week, even even Ghost Train, I I like that song. It's just once again a very varying degrees of like. Some songs I like more, but. I liked them yeah, all. Agreed. Agreed. There is not a bad song on this album. You know, even back in the day when I did skip over Mr. Jones just because I just didn't want to hear it, I found myself not skipping over any of these songs. So great album. I think we'll we'll probably need to do another episode where we kind of uh maybe go through the rest of the Counting Crows catalog and kind of put together some some other really great songs because they they may not have another really great album i mean recovering the satellites was pretty pretty good um but definitely not in the same vein as august and everything after but um maybe a top 10 maybe a top 10 list um yeah what are we revisiting for our next episode oh well we've been we've been having this debate over the last couple of years of the which is the best journey album I say escape, you say frontiers. We're going to decide once and for all. Yeah, it's frontiers. It's escape. So we'll we'll do a head to head. We will pit up um, each of these albums and the songs on these albums against each other, and we will determine once and for all which album that escape is. The no, best stop album. interrupting me. It is frontiers. Okay, so it has been a pleasure revisiting with you. Oh, you as well, Ben Hameen. Great. Well, thanks for listening. Go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Visit a record store and not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited and we are out. Out. And we should also do the Rain King. Yeah! Yeah! (laughs) I can't do that. I'd have to hear it again. (laughs)